Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your co-host, Matt Zemek, along with Saqib Ali. I think we have a, a lot to talk about, and we have a major tournament to review. And joining Saqib and myself, uh, one of the, our favorite favorite guests here at Tennis with an Accent, Mark Woodford, who does uh, excellent tennis commentary uh, for, for a large segment of the global tennis audience. And, of course, you know, his doubles career and, and, and achievements are second to none. Uh, so he's been in the arena uh, in many different tennis contexts. And we bring him back. We had him for our Roland Garros uh, show, and uh, we bring him back uh, for even more, uh, even more tennis insight to review uh, the 2021 U.S. Open. Mark Woodford, welcome back to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Uh, thanks, guys. You know, it, it probably makes sense, doesn't it? It's always handy, even as a commentator. I, 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 it's a privilege for me to be there on site at the four Grand Slams. But in particular, to be at courtside, um, and I know that we've gone through so much, so many changes uh, during this pandemic, and even commentary, I think, has has changed somewhat. But I, I've been very fortunate this year to, apart from the Australian Open, but to be there on site at Roland Garros, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open as a commentator, I think it's so key for us even to be there and just to in that environment to get a, a first hand, first look, first taste of what it's like uh, down. Uh, as two competitors are looking over the net, net at each other. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a perfect kicking point because, you know, you were there last year too. We talked to you about how, you know, intense the COVID protocols were. This was a different environment, back to normal uh, with the crowds. And there was a lot of history that was made this past weekend on different ends of the spectrum, uh, historic proportion in the women's side, two youngsters, you know, with a combined age of 37 contesting, you know, a generational kind of final, which we'll talk about, I think, for years to come. And then there was Novak Djokovic, the man of the moment, who came just three sets close of achieving something last achieved by Rod Laver uh, in the men's field and Steffi Graf in overall in tennis. So there's a lot to talk about. So let's just get started with Daniil Medvedev and Novak Djokovic. And we'll talk about the winner second, because Let's face it, this was the conversation was all about Djokovic. So, Mark, I mean, having been a uh, former player yourself, you've lived this life, you cover this life very closely, you understand this a lot better than, you know, than most of us do. So let's talk about, you know, the pressure that Djokovic had, you know, because it cannot be understated what he was going through. And me and Matt have talked about it, even in Wimbledon, he was always playing himself because that's the kind of task, you know, that's the kind of monster he created for himself in a good way. He came mm. so close of accomplishing something. This is easily one of the greatest seasons, you know, ever. So your thoughts on, you know, the mindset of Djokovic and, you know, why he fell short in the end? Well, yeah, it's, um, I, to, to elaborate further, I, I was uh, so excited on the eve of the, of the US Open, the anticipation of, of Novak. I, I think that for me was the... Um, there were plenty of other storylines at, at this year's Open, but the biggest one, and I think the most important, was the anticipation of Novak clinching the Grand Slam. I, I think tennis needed something like uh, that result, that achievement. I, I think uh, uh, apart from tennis in general, men's tennis, and and I think for that, for, from the aspect of 
uh, this talk of greatest of all time, uh, the GOAT talk that, um, you know, that Novak was kind of late to the party. Um, you know, initially it was always a duo, uh, Roger and Rafa, and, and it became a trio. And, and I think at times Novak has felt like that he, you know, has been, um, you know, the plus one and, and hasn't always enjoyed that. But I, this, uh, every match that he took uh, to the court, I, I can't imagine um, uh, the pressure uh, that he was dealing with. I, I, I have s- some grasp, some sense of it because of the, the, the nature. But I, I look, the, the, uh, what Todd and I experienced as a team going for a piece of history, but there was two of us, Todd and I, we were, we were able to talk about it with each other. We were able to talk about it with our team, um, but it was one twentieth of what Novak was dealing with. Um, and I know the difficulties that we experienced when we were going to clinch the record of uh, winning us team, um, uh, and it, it proved very difficult for us. Um, and that, as I said, that was one twentieth of what he was experiencing. And I, I, I would imagine um, I, I tried to, you know, spent each match that he was playing, just giving some thought uh, to what he was dealing with. And I imagined it would every match to the final, it would have been winning a Grand Slam, the, the, the effort, the energy, the focus. It must have been so draining for him round by round. And I, I, I thought he did an unbelievable job. Uh, and when we're under the pressure, those pressures and under the spotlight, I think we, we tend as athletes, we all have um, uh, uh, areas that perhaps are at an Achilles heel and, and we, we, it shows up. I was wondering how he would emotionally handle uh, each match, I was wondering how his second serve would stand up uh, to the challenge every match, um, and and I think he, you know he handled it extremely well until he just ran into a buzzsaw. Daniel played amazing. Daniel had nothing to lose. Uh, he was aware of that, uh, he, and the way he played, keeping points. Uh, well, I, I mean, I felt like he kept points very concise and the way he plays, it just wasn't allowing Novak any rhythm. Uh, but clearly Novak was hindered um, early on uh, and he just wasn't able to, to find his range. Uh, but as much as what he was dealing with, Daniil was, was just uh, kept pressing on um, you know, his his wound, that he, he had created a wound early on with the break of serve and he kept rubbing salt in that wound. And, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I just, I was so disappointed and, and heartbroken for Novak in the end uh, because now I just, I really do wonder whether uh, he will have another opportunity to go for the Grand Slam. Winning another Slam, yes. But the Grand Slam, and I'm even questioning whether in my lifetime, whether there will be another tennis player, male male tennis player, that will have that chance. Um, I, I just, it, it is the biggest riddle in certainly in men's tennis. 
but in all sports. And uh, um, so as happy and thrilled and exciting, the men's singles unfolded, I felt there was just a, I, I, for me, uh, I, I was, a, I, I just was so, um, yeah, torn for, for Novak, uh, but obviously thrilled to welcome first time winner in Daniil Medvedev. Absolutely. So I have one more question and then I'm sure Matt has a bunch of good follow-up questions. So Novak already has a Novak slam in 2015 and 2016, winning four in a row, but not in the calendar year. So we all know the importance of the Grand Slam, but Novak slam is no less a feat. But if you start, you know, just nitpicking here, you know, from from an, an analytical point of view, you know, how hard is this to win, say, three slams in th- less than three months? Because that gets underscored. What Novak already did in 2015, 2016 is unbelievable. No other man, you know, has done it. Federer came close a couple of times. It didn't happen for him. And in the calendar year, Federer, Villander, Connors, Nadal didn't even come to New York with a chance to win. They won three slams, but they never won three in a row. So just compare the calendar slam, the monumental task it is, compare it to the Novak slam, what he had. You know, mm-hmm. again, no, no mean feat that one either. So just let us know what you feel. I, 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 I try not to overemphasize. I, I think I'm, I'm more of a traditionalist in that respect. So, you know, there was talk, obviously, after Wimbledon um, of Novak going for the Golden Slam, uh, which, which is winning the Olympic gold um, in the same year, like Steffi Graf uh, achieved back in 88. Um, I, w- I didn't want to hear any of that. I, I just thought it, that that's something for me is created uh, by, I, I would say, US media trying to draw attention. I, I mean, it's it's a great achievement, but that's not what our our sport. That's not the focus. It is the Grand Slam, and so the the winning four slams not in the calendar year. Um, uh, is, is something that obviously we, we should celebrate, uh, but to, to me it's just not that it's, it's the winning it in the calendar year that is proving so elusive. Obviously, the four surfaces are now contributing to that. Um, the last, and, and as you guys very well know, Sakiva Matt, that you know, Rod Laver was the last person to achieve it, and I know there's plenty of chatter well, Rocket won back here, you know, in 69. Um, the depth of men's tennis wasn't the same. Three of the four surfaces uh, were on grass. Um, but also Rocket didn't have, you know, and that may be true, th- those two areas, but he also didn't have to deal with the social media, the circus that travels with the tournaments these days. There wasn't a coverage. Um, in, in fact, I, I learned uh, just on the weekend, I, I had to reaffirm, um, what I already uh, knew was that TV wasn't covering the U.S. Open that year for Rod Laver throughout the tournament. Um, there, there was the, the knowledge of him going for his second Grand Slam, which is a mighty achievement. Um, but I, I just, you know, for, for this um, to win four surfaces against uh, the, the the quality of players, the depth of players these days is, um, uh, and I and I have only said just to clarify my comment of I'm not sure whether I'll see it in my lifetime. Someone get as close as what Novak did. 
It's only because of the quality of tennis of today's players, the the advancements, the level that they play. I don't see, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure we'll see a player as complete as Novak on the surfaces because the next generation that's coming up, I, I just, um, yeah, I'm not, not sure. Uh, I, I see them winning a few slams along the way uh, in the same year but I don't think anyone will tee it up like Novak did. But the pressure that he, it's the press, the, the physicality, the mental effort, uh, you know, the, they, were, they were like sharks in the water. Um, every other player in the field uh, on the eve of the tournament. I mean, we heard, I think it was comments from Zverev and Medvedev in particular that, you know, we're all, we're all out there hunting for Novak. So, um I, I I just yeah I, I'm not sure quite if if the general public were aware that how difficult um, this this these two weeks uh, would would have been for Novak and uh, I think we saw that release of tension and emotion that built up uh, at the back end of the final on the last change of ends um, you know uh, oh so close but now. Um, we have to reset for 2022. Mark, uh, how, how much conversation was there in the tennis community in terms of, you know, just people you talked to, people you consulted for their opinion? Uh, when Djokovic made the decision to go to Tokyo for the Olympics, knowing that that would uproot his summer schedule. I mean, playing Tokyo basically meant I'm not going to play Canada or Cincinnati uh, I'm going to have to go to the U.S. Open without playing a match uh, in three weeks, which is not normal preparation. Uh, how much chatter and discussion did you have with other experts, with friends in the tennis industry about that decision to go to Tokyo? Because it really seemed as though, you know, if he doesn't go to Tokyo and he gets that full rest after Wimbledon, which, of course, as you know, was just two weeks after Roland Garros. So, you know, Djokovic played four weeks of major tournament tennis in a six-week block, and he had to be absolutely exhausted at the end of Wimbledon. Uh, but then he goes to Tokyo two weeks later. Just it, it, it all, it really just took him out of shape in terms of lining everything up to be at his best when he got to New York, how much discussion was there about that, you know, in your circles, what, and, you know, now that he came up short and he definitely didn't seem fresh in the back end of this tournament, especially in Sunday's final, how much of an impact do you think that had? Uh, yeah. Great question, Matt. Uh, and I, I <laughs> difficult Difficult one for me, uh, being on the Olympic Committee. So I, I'm, I'm fully supportive of tennis being in the Olympics um, uh, and, and an advocate for, uh, you, know, you know, for it to, to be uh, a, a one, of the, one of the majors. Um, and, but probably on the side, I, I, this was an occasion that I, I, had, I had privately um, hoped that Novak might skip going off to Tokyo I mean it, it, it is such a difficult scenario anyway with the Olympics every uh, for every four years it falls in the summer um, and you know for Novak in particular uh, I'm not advocating for anyone else it was just on this occasion uh, for Novak 
that I, I and I think a few people expected at the at the end of Wimbledon um, expected that an announcement from Novak to say I um, you know it's it's difficult for me exhaustion um, uh, best for me to rest up uh, and prepare uh, with with preferring to lead up to the Open with a a, a, a match or, or a, a tournament appearance in Cincinnati or Toronto. Um, but it wasn't to be. And, I, and, I, and I'm not going to, you know, offer, um, you, you know, that I, I heard of, of why they discussed it. You know, maybe it, 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 he might have looked at it. Maybe he bought into that idea of the golden slam. Maybe he looked at the draw figured Roger and Rafa are not there. There were a couple of other danger opponents that weren't there. Maybe he figured that he could, um, you, you know, he could get through it. Um, I, I don't know. But we did see the emotional boil over at the back end of the Olympic Games. There, there is pressure as well going for Olympic gold. Um, and, and I think we saw that Achilles heel with Novak, um, and the, I think that probably started to uh, uh, raise some alarm bells. Like that probably uh, will take him out of playing any tournament, um, you know, before the US Open. So it was an unusual uh, lead up, uh, and and I, I think, oh, yeah, I just wonder what. I think that, uh, you, you know the, the conversations that take place now to reflect back of you know how they how they went about uh, preparing for the U.S. Open. Um, I yeah, I, I just was I just was surprised that he ended up there, um, and, and it, it just really oh uh, you know he had to arrive in New York, probably answering those questions. What happened? But also, don't forget, 12 months ago, he was defaulted out of the US Open. So the distractions of having to answer, he's to returning to the scene of the crime. So even though we didn't have a linesman uh, at the tournament, there was the um, uh, ELR, electronic line review, um, or, or ELC, line calling that they had in place. But still, he's having to answer all of those questions. And that takes an emotional toll so yes they're just um they're, they're, there might be you know some reflections back if if but but then again four years down the track you know Novak is going to be that much older I just don't see him being in that position to try and make amends in four years time uh when when Paris uh is up for the Olympic Games so it's a heavy it's a heavy toll don't you think Certainly. And I mean, the fact, you know, we also have to tie that into the fact that, you know, he wasn't able to medal at previous Olympics. If he had had a medal in Rio, I mean, if he had a gold medal in Rio uh, in London in 2012, then he pro- then that decision becomes a lot easier for him. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it just, uh, uh, you know, may, maybe over time, maybe, you know, down at the back end of the year, um, there, there might be those opportunities. I'm sure there's a lot of people like us that would be really interested to to find out that that ha, how that decision was was made. Um, you know, and 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 who was involved, who who helped out with those, um, you know, with those decisions. And it's not to say, hey, you made the wrong decision. 
but I, it was just a, I, it was a surprising decision for me. It, it really was. Uh, um, but again, you, you, you know, Medvedev was menacing. Uh, he, he's been the menacing player, you know, leading up to, you know, through this year in other seasons on hard courts against top 10 players. Some of his stats, um, you know, by the time he reached the semifinals, there, there were some, there were, you know, different, different areas that, um, you know, his game was certainly setting up nicely to take on Novak in that final. So, yeah, I mean, let's talk about Daniil Medvedev, uh, second Russian winner of the event after Marat Safin did it, what, 21 years ago. And uh, you just said, uh, you know, he was leading candidate in hard courts. So what does this do to him? Because, you know, I don't think he played the waiting game that long, but still he had been beaten by Djokovic, by Nadal. And clearly, you know, these young guys have been waiting for this moment. Uh, Dominic team had his uh, moment last year, but he uh, couldn't compete this year uh, due to, you know, known reasons of mental health and then further injury. So what does this do to Daniel Medvedev? I mean, this was his third final. Does this open any kind of like, I don't want to use the word floodgates, but what kind of belief he walks away after, you know, he's been in New York? Um, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm not sure whether opening the floodgates is necessarily the correct term, but, um, uh, or, or the, the appropriate way of describing it. But, you know, he, he will no doubt win um, uh, more slams. It, it just is, you know, we've gone through a, an unnatural period of time with Novak and Rafa and Roger and Andy Murray, for, you know, throwing in the Stan, obviously, Ravrinka winning some slams. It's, but it's just, it just doesn't happen where you win your first slam uh, the, on your first try. Um, so, you know, the experience that he brought into the final on Sunday was, was key, as was the, the court surface. There was a lot of chatter um, when, when I arrived in, uh, in New York about the court speed. Um, and out of the four Grand Slams this year, the US Open by far was the fastest surface. Um, and it, it helped Medvedev. Um, you, you know, guys, I think I go back, I, we, I believe we might have discussed this after Roland Garros as well with the, the way the ball played and the courts were a little livelier compared to um, the previous year because of the weather conditions in 20, uh, 2020 in, in September or October. It, it, you know, it wasn't necessarily suitable for Daniil Medvedev losing first round. But this year, he was aware as soon as he got to Roland Garros, this, the, the conditions played into his hand. Uh, he may not have, might not have, you know, uh, got through to the final. Um, but I think the same applied here at the US Open, that once he saw the uh, and, and discovered the court speed, um, it, you know, he, he, uh, it, it was just plum for him, um, you know, the way he was serving. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't troubled, troubled anywhere near as much on, on the serve um, throughout the tournament as compared to Novak. Um, he was winning, you, you know, rally balls, um, whether it's, you know, ending the point within five shots, uh, whether it's between five to ten or when it was over a ten-shot rally. Um, you, you know, he he had his numbers shone very bright, and 
you know, he didn't have to revert to hitting a backhand slice all that often compared to Novak. So his game was all about offensive throughout, um, you, you know, the fortnight in, in New York. So, uh, and then you put into the mix that he is playing against an opponent who is ha- having to handle uh, this incredible amount of pressure. Um, it, it, it just, there were so many aspects that fell uh, in D- Daniel's side. But we saw how, how, how nervous he became as well. Um, you know, when he, he had the chance to, to wrap that match up um, in the third set before becoming tight. Um, uh, but, you know, for him, I think certainly now this, this belief of um, that, that he belongs. And I, th- I think there are, along with Sasha um, Zverev, I, I think they believe that this, the turnover is happening. We're, we're, in, we're just at the beginning of this new era in men's tennis now. So that kind of a perfect transition to what I was going to ask you. Uh, Zverev got, you know, the better of Djokovic, you know, in Tokyo. And clearly Djokovic was emotionally fatigued, you know. And same here, you know, the pressure and the, the total task at hand. You know, like you said, the pressure keeps building. And, you know, Novak was not close to his best. But still, beating a fatigued or a half-best Novak is still not an easy task. So with that being done, Zverev a small success in Cincinnati, sorry, in Tokyo and then winning in Cincinnati and Medvedev getting the big one in the Big Apple. So I know Novak is still the alpha in the room and he's, he still may win more than two slams next year. Uh, does this overall change the landscape of the game in terms of belief? Because you're a former player. Belief is something that's really not captured in the stats, show, stats sheet. And if uh, Andre Rublev or Stefano Tsitsipas, who's part of this group, and Berrettini and with team coming back, does this really, you know, just change the locker room belief a little bit, you know, that there is still some chance against Djokovic for these guys? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether, <laughs> whether Roger and Rafa might have been secretly pining in a way for Novak to win based on what you're, what you're alluding to is now that there is this, that this new brigade and, and look, team has been there a little longer than, than the rest of them. But, you know, the two, I think the two danger players are obviously D- Daniel and um, Zverev. I think Pass has a little way, a little longer to, um, to arrive, but he is certainly in that equation. But I think it might be just a little longer um, you know he he's his thirst to to be um one of the i mean he is one of the elite but to be a grand slam winner um is strong zara still has to find that solution of beating a top 10 player uh, at a grand slam uh he hasn't i think he's still what o o and 10 or o and 11 uh, he's able to he's able to do it on in a best of three set match because i think he his game, you know, he can he can come out of the blocks fast, but to make it last for three sets is is proving difficult for him. But I I I think this was a changing year for for Zverev as well, and I think he's only going to be enhanced in in twenty twenty two. But um, you know that I, I, I going back to my my first comment of maybe you know who knows they might have been secretly hoping because. Once someone gets that taste of what it's like to, to be, you start to believe in yourself that much more. 
and I think that's what for, for Daniil now, he, he certainly, um, you, you know, Australian Open, um, you, you know, the, the court speed there um, is suitable for him. Um, whether he's able to, to, to uh, uh, show a, a bit more um, uh, persistence on the clay, um, and that might just depend on the weather conditions there as well. Suitable. If it turns too heavy, that's going to work against him. But, you know, he's, he's going to be a danger here on the hard courts in the future and, and possibly Wimbledon as well because uh, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that it's just a different surface now, grass, um, uh, from my time. So, but, it, but it, you know, I think that belief and there will be, you know, these other guys coming up behind. I think Berrettini has certainly discovered that, his game can translate well uh, on the, the the different surfaces, um, um, but um, yeah, it, I, I just think this this year has been it's significant. Apart from the fact that Roger just hasn't really played and has, you know, probably, um, you know, I don't see him winning another Slam, uh, unfortunately, or being co- competitive to in the back end of a, a Slam, and and Rafa might just have trouble. Um, uh, you, you know, getting back into it now. Um, he'll still be there on clay, uh, I'm sure, and still, uh, but but I think there's still, it just raises some questions for, for Rafa, I believe. In terms of, uh, you know, what enabled Medvedev to cross the threshold uh, against Djokovic, Mark, uh, you know, I'm, I'm struck by, not just the fact that, you know, Medvedev played Djokovic, not just this year at the Australian Open, but each of the last two years uh, at the Australian Open. You know, there was that fourth rounder um, when, when, you know, when they really went at it, hammer and tongs uh, for a few sets before Djokovic uh, pulled away. Um, and, and then, but you also had the 2019 U.S. Open final going five sets against Nadal, you know, and, and Nadal really had to work for that match. Like there was, there was no sense of inevitability whatsoever in the fifth set. There was a genuine chance that Medvedev could steal that match and he very nearly did it. Um, if you could, if you were to compare Medvedev's experience of having played Djokovic in a couple of recent Australian opens versus the experience of having been in a U.S. open final and going five sets against uh, another member of the big three. Which of those two uh, experiences do you think uh, paid off more for Medvedev in Sunday's final? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure that there was one particular one. Um, I think the accumulation of, of, of those of those defeats. Um, uh, but you know the, the the five the five set match with with Nadal. I think he learned a tremendous amount. And, and even, you know, sometimes as a player, when you get soundly beaten, there is that deeper, I think you have a responsibility. You have that deeper um, uh, reflection, what happened. And maybe the Australian Open early this year, uh, you know, getting bounced, trounced in, in the three sets just, you know, was enough to, you know, kick him kick him into some, some action. He, he is... Uh, and, I'll, and I'll probably head into that uh, um, re- being proactive uh, as opposed to reactive. He is a proactive tennis player, um, and, and maybe losing 
this year to 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 uh, Nole at the Australian Open, it just reaffirmed that he has to be the one, you know, to take control. Don't don't wait and see. Um, uh, not not against someone as as great as as Novak, um, and uh, you know I, I mean the way he just he came out of the blocks in the first set on um, Sunday he set the tone um, and uh, um, yeah I, th- I think that that certainly uh, was the path for me was the path to victory. So Mark, as as we as we look at you know the. Uh, there are various things that various stories that came from this 2021 United States Open as we take a broader view of everything. And one thing was obviously, you know, toilet gate. And I mean, I, I don't think Sakib and myself uh, particularly enjoy talking about this subject, but it's a newsworthy and important subject because it gets into tennis rules and how tennis polices itself. I mean, you know, the tennis governance, that's that's the kind of thing that, you know, I, I don't it's not fun to talk about, but we do need to address it because the sport hasn't addressed it. And, and you had an anecdote from your uh, recent experiences that you wanted to share. So tell, tell us that story. And on the back end, you know, tell, tell us about what you thought about the Sitsipas angle, you know, which, you know, had roots in Cincinnati, you know, before, even before the U.S. Open began. But share that anecdote and then talk to us about the, the larger contours of this issue as you see it. Um, yes, well, well, certainly that that might have been might have been helpful for Novak in the early stages of the tournament. Uh, that that it the focus moved away from him somewhat and onto Sitsipas, and then we we saw a number of um, or oh, a handful of of players perhaps trying to exploit um, the the rules or the lack of rules on the issue of going off court and changing your attire and how long um, it takes, whether it is for a bathroom break or not. So um, uh, probably two, two incidences, uh, you know, for me that, uh, look, I, I saw the City Pass um, uh, the first time that he took 13 minutes. Um, uh, I was calling a doubles match early on. Uh, Steve Johnson and Sam Query were playing against a, 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 a seeded pair um, and after the first set, the seeded pair, because they'd lost the first set, they actually departed the court. That played out on court five. Um, and Steve and Sam were obviously approaching it in a very relaxed manner, the match. But because they won the first set, they, they uh, you know, had, were talking to the umpire saying, you know, this is what's ridiculous is, uh, you know, they – they don't need to go to the toilet, to the bathroom, but they're going there anyway. You know, what, shouldn't we have someone, you know, if they're saying they're going to the bathroom, shouldn't we, should we ensure that they are actually going to the bathroom and not just going into uh, whether it's back to the locker room or to a cubicle just to waste time? Um, uh, and then, and then the, and, and, it, and when, by the time they came back, it, it only inflamed the situation. In fact, it, it added some impetus for um, Steve Johnson and Sam Query, who ended up going ahead and, and winning the match uh, and making it, you know, further into the tournament. Um, but it, it raised its head there, um, you know, for me. They, I, I called the junior boys singles final, uh, and the number one seed was uh, from from China, um, was playing against a, a lad from 
uh, from Spain. And the lad from Spain actually won the first set in 23 minutes. Uh, it was played on Sun, uh, on, sorry, on Saturday. It was a, a cooler day, um, but it was 22 or 23 minutes, the first set. But the, the number one seed went off the court for over 10 minutes to change his attire. So it, it, by the time he came back, the, 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 um, un, uh, sorry, the number seven seed from Spain, he sat there um, getting cold. Um, and there weren't that many, but there were a few spectators, but it wasn't like thick that he needed an escort, a security escort to fight his way through the crowds. But um, seriously, you get beat in 22 minutes and you need to go and change every single item uh, from your socks to your sweatbands to a shirt to your shorts, your underwear. Um, I just... I, I just was, to me, it was extremely annoying to see it. And I think for the juniors, they aspire to become one of the, the, the uh, world of transition eventually and, and be a part of the, the main draw, the professional tour. So they mimic what they see. They build their games on who they watch. And I thought that that impact, that the precedence that was set is um, – you know, certainly it's time for the ATP to, to maybe act. Uh, I, I, w- I, would be, I would be shocked if we don't see uh, an announcement um, imminently as to regards th- to that rule. Uh, it, it does act. If, if you're actually going to the bathroom, that's a different matter. I, you know, whether, whether you're going for, uh, you know, um, a, a number ones or a number twos, but, you, you know, that's – but to go off and change – your attire and take that length of time. I think we, there will be a, um, a, a, a an amount of time that you will have. I, I know I, I did it once in my career in Indianapolis, which is one of the hottest uh, uh, tournaments to have played in. Um, and I, I just uh, was in the semifinals of a, a playing against Andre Agassi and a set of piece, I was drenched. I mean, and I had, I, I was one of those players that sweated profusely on the change of ends. There was not, not enough liquid that I could actually drink um, to retain uh, my, my weight. Um, and, and so my shoes were squelching. My socks were drenched. My clothes, I went off after a set all and the, fortunately, the locker rooms were adjacent to the centre court in Indianapolis. But I, I just went in and, and quickly took all of my kit off, took a shower. But let me tell you, guys, I had the officials and the alignsmen. I had the, the tournament referee as well, the supervisor, as well as alignsmen. They were on to me. They, they were like, come on, you've got to hurry. You can't let this, you know, go on too long. Um, but I, I just quickly, I mean, it was literally just quick switched of the taps on and out, quick dry and, and out. I, 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 I did win the match, but I, I'm not going to say that it was a deliberate way of me stalling to up, you know, to affect Andre's game. Um, uh, it, but, you know, that was, that was one time that I did, and I was probably less than five minutes. So I think it's something that urgently needs to be tended to by um, the ATP um, 
sooner rather than later. So we don't see this happening. It, I, I thought it was ridiculous uh, at the US Open. All right, so Matt, I have a quick follow-up here. You know, I'm breaking the pattern that we usually operate on, but you said something uh, interesting there, that the junior didn't have to do anything after 23 minutes. But I would even go deeper, I think. Uh, I mean, you're a former player, but I've also watched a lot of tennis. So has Matt. Uh, I don't remember the Lendels, the Edbergs, or, you know, you guys or Agassiz do this. I'm sure I didn't watch every match because tennis wasn't as available as, as it's in this era. But I watched a lot of tennis. I don't just remember. Uh, even if we combine the medical timeouts, and a lot of time players have accused other players of, you know, there's gamesmanship, but that's a rule. So you think, one, is it happening because something happened in this era is more physical? The rules were always there and you can extend them? Because in your era too, it's not like, you know, like you said, Indianapolis, the RCA championships or Indian Wells or Miami was always dry and humid and had challenging conditions. So what has happened in the last 15 years or maybe 10 years that didn't happen before? Did the rules change or the game became more physical? that, uh, you know, you know, there's some gamesmanship, you know, you can't, of course, say someone doesn't have to go to the loo or someone is not, you know, feeling his back or his knee or elbow. But overall, I didn't see as many trainers or I didn't see as many bathroom breaks. And I was talking to one of your old opponents, Hemi Izaga, last week, and he said he doesn't remember anyone doing it against him maybe once or twice for like a bathroom break. Exactly. Uh, Jimmy Arias was uh, working in commentary uh, um, the world feed um, uh, alongside of me, and uh, you know he he was discussing it uh, as well, and you know he brought up several uh, several occasions um, that you know he he, he had it memor- memorized. Uh, <laughs> he has a laser memory, um, but it just it, it, it was on one hand, like uh, five occasions, less than five occasions uh, in a very lengthy career of Jimmy Arias. But, yeah, I, I just, um, the rules have, have been the same. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't think it happened anywhere near as much. Uh, you know, if players wanted to change their kit, um, they, they literally just change their shirt on the court. Um, and I think there are more players that do continue that way but now it, it's been vogue. Um, I think players, when they're conversing with their team about taking time, you know, that's why we have the, 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 the clock now between the points because players were pushing it. Um, Rafa probably takes, takes the title there at Roland Garros. Um, the, whenever he was in a, a spot of trouble in his matches, he would continually push the time in between points. The closer the opponent was to him on the scoreboard, the longer he took. Um, and and so now we, you know, we we have uh, the time clock imposed um, uh, uh, in these matches. There wasn't as many, as much time with players going back and toweling off. But it is an, an an incessant part of our game now. And I and I think it is uh, players are uh, communicating to their team. I feel so rushed. I, I, I'm, I my, I'm so wet, my shirt, uh, um, my socks. And, and I think the messaging that they're receiving is take your time until someone says you can't do it, go ahead and do it. Um, and and uh, look, I, I hope, uh, you know, after when we, we return to some normalcy that 
that we won't have um, the bull kids running around uh, like flies, not just collecting the balls, but having to bring the towel to and forth uh, to the players. I hope we still continue that the players must get their own towel. Um, uh, and and I, like I said, I, I just think the ATP need to address this uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and it, it's certainly something that I'll be, I will be bringing up with um, uh, the, the ITF as far as, as, as Davis Cup matches, just to make sure that we keep, we keep these matches flowing as quickly as possible. All right. So one more question on the men's side, then I'm sure Matt will open the account for the women's historic draw. So you call a lot of matches. I'm sure you were on site every day, maybe more than one match. So just talk about any matches that were not on the main courts or any exciting matches that you called and just share with the listeners here. Now I have to go <laughs> to, to look at, uh, to try to look at my, uh, uh, my draw um, uh, and um, refresh my memory along the way here. Um, oh, wow. Um, I mean, that's that was, a different... that was, well, you know, there were some breakthrough stars or, or certainly breakthrough players on the men's side. Van de Zanschulp, uh, Lloyd Harris, uh, you know, other, other players who really made an imprint on this tournament and also players who, you know, didn't uh, make the imprint you know, like, like Sitsipas and, and other players, you know, Rublev uh, continuing to struggle at the majors. So, I mean, from that, I'm sure that there were some memorable impressions. Yeah. I, um, I, I think Riley Opelka um, for, for tennis here in the U S I, I think he did uh, again, the courts very suitable. Um, I, I think he's discovering himself. It's still a, a bit of a process you know, no one says that you have to accomplish this in a very short amount of time to be an elite player. Um, and I just like the, the way he goes, he's going about it. But I, I felt that the, it certainly was an opportunity uh, for him to go a little deeper, given the way the courts um, were playing. But I, I, I think, again, he's just, it's just, you know, another piece in his, of the jigsaw in his journey um, that, that, uh, I, I just like the way he he is um, is is unfolding really. Um, but you you did mention you know a, a player there that um, for, for me um, uh, the the Van der Zanskop from Holland. I actually got to see him play at, uh, at the final round of qualifying at Roland Garros, and I just happened to be walking by a court. All I could hear was this ball hitting the backstops with an almighty slam uh, against the windbreakers. And I stopped to watch, was thinking, wow, I've never heard of this player besides the fact that his name is a mouthful to pronounce. Um, But coming from Holland, I'm thinking, well, that's great. We, we, we need someone to be, you know, coming up from that part of the world. And I just was in awe of his serve. Um, Just the motion. It's just so easy going and the hip action, it's easy power. Um, and he really did surprise me here with how well he handled um, winning and working his way through the draw. Um, he, he could be a, a very dangerous, handy and dangerous player moving forward because I think he will. He has that game that 
being brought up in uh, in Europe on clay. I think he can adapt there, but on the other surfaces. Um, but he's, you know, still so raw in, in his journey. Um, but I, I did take a lot of joy in watching him. And I think um, for clearly for, for European tennis and in particular for Spain, they've found a new star it, with, with the arrival of, um, uh, of Carlos Alcaraz onto the scene, I think is a great relief for Spain, for Spanish tennis um, to, to keep um, their, it, it alive in their own country, the sport alive after Rafa. Um, you know, there's, it's, he casts a long shadow Nadal, but I think uh, uh, for Alcaraz, an exciting prospect. Um, clearly, it, you know, once Rafa decides to hang it up. All right, so Mark, let's uh, move to the to the women's draw. And, well, you know, there's not a whole lot for me to say in terms of you know uh, pr- providing a question to you. I mean, it's just it's one of the most remarkable things we've ever seen in tennis. And the first qualifier in the Open era to win a major title. And not only that, but with barely any main tour experience, Emma Raducanu played Nottingham. She played Wimbledon. She played San Jose, three main tour events. I, I don't care. I don't count uh, a 125 really as main tour. Some people could quibble with that technicality, but you know, ha- barely any tour experience. And as a qualifier, you win 10 matches, all of them in straights, as the number 150 player in the world, I've never seen anything remotely like it. What, what just what? How do you begin to put this in perspective? <laughs> it's quite comical, really, isn't it? The way, <laughs> the way, the way you just uh, provided some some insight uh, to to her rise. Um, it just it just is mind boggling. Um, she she had a taste of it at at, uh, at Wimbledon, um, and, and I, I apparently word was floating around even at uh, at Wimbledon that she uh, w- uh, was not uh, going to get their wild card. There were a few people that made the decision on the wild cards at Wimbledon um, did did not were, were voting against Emma receiving the last minute wild card. Um, so. <laughs> she's she's taken um she had that, that that taste of what it was like the notoriety at at Wimbledon but her, her game is just so uh, incredibly solid um uh it, it it just this confidence that kept building I think with women's tennis though it's the the results that that not only did Raducanu but Fernandez but more so with with Raducanu um, each round and each player that she beat, it almost enhanced. It's um, in the latter stages of the tournament, especially. Um, uh, you know, quite often she found herself down a break early in the first set, but then was able to bounce back quite quickly against some marquee names in the in women's tennis. And I think they started to believe in that this the the, the idea that she is um, uh, uh, this magnificent player. And look, you, you, you still, she got the job done. Um, but, uh, I mean, the, uh, certainly the, the benefit of the court, and I'm not going to, I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying, oh, it's just the court surface. I mean, she, she handled uh, every aspect uh, 
um, like a, a pro, someone well beyond her years of uh, of eighteen, um, and it's and, and it was just pure excitement. I, I mean, just the freshness. She didn't seem to be bothered or distracted. Um, that's what was remarkable. Speaking about Layla Fernandez, you know, she, I mean, her the players that she faced at this tournament, much tougher than what Radu Kanu faced. And, you know, she was able to not only beat them, you know, I was struck, Mark, by how, how much at this tournament, uh, the women's tournament, there were so many crunch time tiebreakers. And either the younger player, in Fernandez's case, or the less established player, Shelby Rogers over Ash Barty, you know, the less proven player consistently won these ex- exquisitely uh, tension-packed tiebreakers. I-, I just can't recall another tournament, you know, highlighted by Fernandez, doing it against Kerber, doing it against Svitolina, doing it against Sabalenka, winning all those pressure tiebreakers. Also Osaka in the, thir- in the third round um, after Osaka served for the match. I can't recall another major tournament, women or men, when – unproven players so consistently won tiebreakers against far more established either ch- champions in the case of Kerber and Osaka, you know, they both have three or more majors or Svitolina, you know, a top five player, Sabalenka, top five player. It was just remarkable to see. Yeah, you're, you're right. I think in, um, you know, the, the opponent, certainly Osaka was, was, you know, dealing with, with issues there. Um, um, the the one probably that did stand out for me was the Kerber match. I, I think given that Angie is a little more established, clear, clearly deep, richly experienced at that level with slams under her belt, um, I, that that did surprise me. And I'm wondering whether the lefty against lefty uh, paid off. In the favour of um, of Leila Fernandez, in the end, um, uh, you know, I have being a left hander myself, and I, I just know it wasn't always comfortable. I never felt like you could play your best le- le- two lefties, um, but you know, it's the same for Leila. Uh, we're playing Angie, so um, tremendous win. I I wasn't surprised that the Svitolina. Uh, you, you know, I'm I'm not uh, convinced that she uh, has she has the game in the early parts or early rounds of a of a tournament. Um, but something that you know is it clearly, you know, for her uh, and and her record, not to have featured in, in a Grand Slam final or winning any of the major tournaments on tour. You know, we, we, winning some of the lesser tournaments, yes. But she just has stage fright when she gets to the back end of these majors. That was a match that she really, on paper, should not be losing. And Sabalenka, I think, is just very inexperienced. Um, certainly has the game to win um, the, the U.S. Open, um, and she she was holding the ball there. That was, you know, she, uh, you know, but she fumbled. And I think until you know, emotionally, she steadies herself. I think she gets so amped up um, and she forgets to play. Um, but it, it all just, it just, you know, fell into place for Leila Fernandez, which was tremendous. Um, you know, I was, I was very surprised though with uh, um, Ash Barty going out to Shelby Rogers. I was actually calling 
the men's match um, that followed, uh, Jack Sock and, and Sasha Zverev, um, that came on after Ash Barty. So I, I actually, you know, was sitting there very comfortable thinking at 5-2 uh, and, and just was actually with Mary Carrillo preparing for the men's match and, you know, j- had just felt very confident that Ash, this tournament was for her. Um, you know, her game on the surface, uh, backhand slice, the serve, the forehand, um, I thought it was conducive, but, um, you know, that there's, you know, maybe the advantage of playing on a home, in front of hometown, uh, you, you know, friends, family, the support that Shelby received was tremendous. Um, you know, Ash, I know, I, I think, uh, you know, be, not having gone back to Australia for a number of months, it's difficult, but that shouldn't be an excuse for um, the, the loss, um, it, it, it just really surprised me that she ended up going down against someone, um, you know, that she had a very strong record against. So, um, you know, just the, these youngsters, they, it, it was a sensational story for women's tennis and, and, uh, and perhaps really what they needed, um, you know, given that Serena um, wasn't there. Um, clearly Osaka, as I said, is having some issues still and perhaps, you know, needs to take further time away to reassess, you know, her love for the sport um, to rediscover it. I think Ash Barty is going to go home uh, and rejuvenate um, herself and she will be back. Um, but, you know, welcome to um, Grand Slam level, uh, Emma Raducanu. Um, it, it was just fantastic to watch. Yeah, absolutely. What a way to arrive. So just want to like do a comparison how in the 90s uh, we used to see, uh, you know, starting with Monica Sellis and Steffi Graf also won as a teenager. Then, you know, we had other teenagers like Hingis to follow and even Bianca a couple of years ago. But overall, we haven't seen many teenagers break through, if I'm not mistaken, like it used to. So this was like, you know, a revelation here and, and a tournament that we'll talk about in years to come. Uh, so what kind of readiness is there for a teenager to break through? Like Matt said, you know, it's probably the greatest, you know, event you can compare to any player that has played and adding the three qualities. But uh, I, I don't want to use the word accident, but, you know, you are a better judge at these kind of talents. I mean, hopefully Emma has a great career ahead of her. I don't want to jinx anything by saying here. But when do you look at, you know, a teenager like this in the main draw, what are the signs of readiness? Someone can get hard and just run the table. We've seen that. But what are there, you know, is there maturity that you see in the tennis? Uh, youth also is fearless. Sometimes, you know, there is no second, there's no second doubting yourself. So just unpack, you know, the youthful readiness that, you know, that you saw this week from both of them, and especially Emma. Um, yeah, I, I think it wasn't, uh, in my opinion, it was an op- opportunity that, that, that the draw... And whilst I'm a, a you know a, a supporter of Ash Barty and uh, um, even at the top of the tournament, uh, you, you know considered her, uh, had penciled her in to be there right at the very end. Um, but the, yeah, I think it's probably also difficult to actually make that assessment of how ready it's something that it wasn't for me that uh, that I that was tangible. 
um, you know, it, personally speaking, because I just was so unprepared, ill-equipped at, at a similar age. Um, and, and it is quite remarkable how, um, you know, how solid, you know, especially Radakanu, um, you, you know, was able to to stand up in in those matches as as well as Leila Fernandez, but but Fernandez has been exposed to um, a, a greater amount of matches than Raducanu. I mean, this has just been like a hurricane, and and I think that's my fear. I, 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 and I'm sure that you, you both of you guys have the concerns. You know how how does she handle now? Uh, coming from a country that um, it has been a long time, uh, 77 since Virginia Wade, their last Grand Slam winner on the women in the women's game. They've been yearning uh, to have another champion since Andy Murray. He, he has brought so much spotlight to tennis uh, in, in the UK. Um, and, and so here's another opportunity for tennis to have a, a massive injection of interest uh, in, in their country. How does she go from starting two weeks ago as a qualifier to now she's in the top 25 in the rankings? I mean, she, she is the, the red carpet is going to be rolling out at each of the tournaments now. Um, and I, 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 hope, I hope for her, but that's, I think that's a big question. You know, how is she going to handle it? Is she ready for all of this? And will her game. I mean, because she's not a, she's a, a, physically, she's not, um, you know, she's certainly not in the six foot range. She's still a, 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 a little, a little girl. Um, so, you know, there are, there are going to be, it's not just the mental side, but those physical demands now, because there will be tournaments that will want her to be part of um, their event now. Um, so hopefully, it's not a race to enter into every tournament that they can still take their time and allow her to develop. Sure. So one more question on uh, the previous response you were providing, Matt, and when you mentioned, you know, the overall uh, state of the game with uh, Arena Sabalenka. She's a player of interest here because uh, not too long ago before Wimbledon, everybody doubted if she can convert you know, her talent from the one-week tournaments to the majors, and she did in Wimbledon, and now she had a very good U.S. Open, but then in the end, you know, she might have left something on the table with the two inexperienced youngsters, and all she had to do was win the tournament, easier said than done. So when we talk about Sabalenka, uh, some fans describe it as ball bashing. What does the coach in you see? I mean, is there a transition game that's missing is, with that big a game? Should she be coming a little more to the net? Uh or if she already is, I mean, what is the missing link or is it just more mental at this point? Um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it is more of on, on the mental side for, for me. It's, uh, I haven't um, um, seen her. We all have a default way of handling situations and scenarios. Um, and I think at this stage, what I, what I see with uh, Sabalenka's game is that when it arrives at a juncture in the match, um, there's a bit of tension or tenseness. Um, her her natural reaction is to hit the ball bigger. She wants to show her physicality and dominate. Um, 
and and so the, their errors just creep in. They're very short points, um, and uh, it, it, it's it's almost like you can see it in the shoulders, um, or like we don't we don't get to to see uh, um, her much of her neck. It just seems like she gets so tight and tense, and so I think it's a, a process for her to work on how she handles herself emotionally at the, at that stage. She's certainly got the game. I mean, she's, she's so mobile around the court. Um, there, there's the, the power. Yes. It's a, it's a lovely um, uh, strength to have in your game, but I think it's, it's, it's where she's at now. She just needs to be able to understand the bit, the, the awareness, the level of awareness that when the potential is there, that how she, you know, whether whether it's working with someone off the court um, and, and trying to just, whether it's breathing exercises or just to refocus, um, but but move away from that propensity to try and blast a winner because, it, yes, as you said, it, it comes across as ball bashing. And I think some of the girls out there recognise themselves that um, if they can just keep the ball going, um, you know, she's bound to miss first. All right, Mark, as we wind down the show, I uh, want to ask you know, if, an obvious big picture question for both tours. Um, you know, obviously when, when the U.S. Open ends, you know, naturally we, we reflect on the year at the majors and our attention, you know, we still, we do have, we do have Indian Wells coming up in October. That's kind of a plot twist for this season, but still, we're all now thinking about uh, the majors in 2022. So what's like just either a storyline or a player you're particularly interested in on both tours as we look at the, the, the men and the women at the majors next year and what, what you're particularly excited about? Um, yeah, well, well let, let's, whilst we were uh, speaking about the women, it's still, still fresh. So um you know, for me, you know, on on uh, moving ahead, it's Ash Ash Barty. I, I think it ha- has that um, chance in twenty rest of this year, but also in twenty twenty two and beyond. I've, I felt that she handled, she she discovered a bit more about herself after winning Wimbledon. Um, the the loss at the Olympic Games, I think, was just the exhaustion of actually. Uh, winning Wimbledon and and what comes with winning a Grand Slam and and, a, and an event that she's aspired to what to win. Um, there's a great connection with uh, our Australian heritage at Wimbledon as well. Um, but I, I think you, you know for her to be able to build upon this year going forward is exciting. Of course, there's going to be attention on Radakanu more so uh, than than Leila Fernandez. I, th- I think there's more, a bit more upside in her game moving forward, um, uh, and, and obviously plenty of attention. But yes, can, you know, can Serena it, does she want to come back um, into our sport? Um, I, 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 Osaka is still such a, a major mystery for me. Um, but but for Sabalenka to go off and work on herself. It's not about getting onto the court and hitting extra serves or finding that extra pace off the forehand and backhand. It, it, it's more how she is carrying herself um, emotionally in those matches. Um, on the men's side, 
you know, for, for me going ahead, obviously, uh, you know, is Rafa, um, can, can, can this time off, um, you, you know, rejuvenate him uh, to the quest between the marquee three um, continues <laughs> in, in next season um, as they push to who, who, who's going to be the first to reach Grand Slam title 21. Um, but I think there are questions that need to be answered by um, Sitsipas. Um, I, I love the guy's game. I think there is such incre- uh, depth there, um, but it might, because there is depth, uh, a few more strings to his bow, it might take him a little longer. Um, and, and can Zverev find, find that form that he has, that he has tasted uh, and he's displayed to us in week-long tournaments, Master Series tournaments, um, but just hasn't been able to find that, um, that answer in slams. I, I wasn't a, a massive fan of Zverev, I, I must admit. Um, it, it just something, something was there that I just was not, I was not a, a, a big fan. But I, I, I have to say at Roland Garros, I, I, I really started to change and I started to warm to him. Um, I know he has a lot of off, there are some distractions off court now that um, might need to be um, addressed. Um, but on the court, I think there is, my hope is that he can uh, reach another final, if not win a slam in, in 2022. So, um, you, you know, I think that in the men's side, we've spoken, you know, so long over the last decade about the marquee three. And I really, I think this generation now with Medvedev, um, and Zverev and Tsitsipas and Berrettini. I think, well, I think the men's game is at a quite a healthy stage um, of transitioning, uh, and I and I I don't I don't I feel much more comfortable now um, at the end of the Grand Slam season this year um, than I have in previous years. That I feel comfortable that men's tennis is going to thrive uh, when when time comes that the marquee three are no longer there. So let me ask you a specific question. Matt, you know, covered major ground there with the, you know, onset of 2022 and, you know, your your outlook there. So let's narrow it down to Felix Ojeal-Yassim. Last time the three of us spoke, you know, he was someone who really hasn't impressed you in the same regard as, you know, some of the other names that you took. So has he taken strides since Wimbledon and now US Open? Do you see his game differently? Clearly still a work in progress, comes to a net a lot. So just break down his game for us, you know, if he has, if he started to impress you now compared to, you know, when we last spoke in June. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you know, in all honesty, I didn't get to see him play uh, that much, unfortunately, during the U S open, um, uh, the, the match against Medvedev. Um, I, I was actually calling another match at the same time, which wasn't his. Um, and I, and I did look down and, uh, on the court on the ash, court there and noticed that he was stepping up to serve for the second set and I and I just kind of nodded to myself and thought okay so we have a match um and it I, I I felt like it was maybe 10 minutes later clearly it wasn't but it just felt that next time I looked down um Medvedev won a point and walked towards the net and shook hands um and I and I started to panic thinking 
has someone just defaulted? Um, little did I realize that, you know, the match had swung around right at uh, uh, when he was about to serve. Um, so I look at, he's still a work, definitely a work in progress for me. Um, and I, 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 I yeah, I, I just, for, for me still, I'm, I'm more, um, more with Shapovalov um, than I am with Felix Auger uh, Aliasim. Um, I, I just I think there's there is still some uh, you know more upside with with Dennis, but that that's just a personal might be coming from that as I said that left handedness um, uh, and, and his similar style to Rod Laver. Um, so I, I I feel like there, there are probably some some bigger questions for Shapovalov to answer in the next few months and how he sets up for 2022. Um, Felix is certainly came, came on strong, but um, yeah, it's just, I still, still have my, um, I, I don't think he has the belief against the bigger names in tennis. I think Dennis really believes that he belongs there. So I think that for me is the, a bit of the difference. Mark, uh, my final question to you is about the women's tour. Uh, it's very interesting that in both 2019 and 2021, the exact same scenario played out. Different, different players, but the same overall pattern. We had 12 women, 12 different women make exactly one major semifinal, and two women made two major semifinals, and – the two women that made two major semifinals didn't win a major title. So just everything is so evenly and widely distributed uh, on the WTA tour at the majors. And it, it's just this remarkable pattern where, you know, one major tournament's results do not carry over generally to the next one. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you know, Osaka being strong on hard courts is kind of the exception, which proves the rule. Like, you know, she's there usually at the Australian Open and the, and the U.S. Open, and then isn't, is not a factor on uh, clay or grass at Roland Garros and Wimbledon. But you know, beyond that, just very few consistent patterns. And it's just it's so, there's so much depth, so much parity, and you don't, you're not seeing a group of four, five, six players really take over uh, women's tennis at the majors. Now, of course, this doesn't mean the quality of play is subpar, anything but. There were so many wonderful women's matches. The, the WTA is in a very healthy place in terms of quality depth. But there is that lingering reality that there isn't that blockbuster rivalry. And there was always a blockbuster rivalry in a previous decade. You know, there was Margaret Court, Billie Jean King. There was Chris and Martina. There was Steffi and Monica. Serena Venus. Um and, and now we're in a place, especially since Serena became a mother in 2017, since, since that line of demarcation in 2017, uh, the women's tour has just become extremely fluid. So, Mark, any chance, any sense that there is a group of players about to you know, form a group of like five or six players that begin to solidify themselves as a cut above everybody else? Or are we going to see this dynamic of parity continue into 2022? 
Yeah, I, I, I would lean at this stage more towards the parity. Um, you, you know, it should be celebrated the fact that they that there is that depth, which might not when when you ha- have the uh, the head to head the rivalries. Sometimes you could you know turn it around and say, okay, so uh, there's just not the depth, but I, I, I like the fact that there are a number of uh, uh, winners. Um, that you can look at the drawer, and it's not and, and it's not easy to ascertain to select someone who is an outright favourite, or you're looking forward to that that incredible rivalry to to take on uh, to take place again. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I actually yeah see it kind of repeating um, into next season. Um, of course, I'm going to give the edge to. The one, a one, one person, and I'll, I'll that's the. I'll, I'll keep waving the Australian flag, um, the the uh, with, with his Ash Barty clearly. Um, that I, I, I just, I think for me, you know, overcoming the nerves and um, at Wimbledon, I, I think was tremendous for uh, a boost for Ash. But if Sabalenka finds the the keys. To handling herself, I think there are a, uh, a game like her, hers, does bother Ash because I think they can get to to Ash's backhand. Um, but at the same time, I think Ash Barty is working on her on her game to develop a bigger serve, to develop a forehand that is heavy, to complement the backhand slice, um, and she does have the ability to move to move forward with ease. It's uh, it's just an, a natural area for her, but um, you know whether whether they turn into a, a rivalry. And of course, you know, you know you're mentioning Osaka, just trying to sort herself out. So I, I think there's probably more about this parity that we will see um, next season. All right. So let's wrap this up, and we'll you know ask you to make a small prediction here, uh, which we have done among our staff. Matt thinks. Uh, Djokovic will be anywhere close to like 27 slams when it's all said and done. Me and Andrew think he'll be close to 23, 24. Uh, what's the over and under for you, uh, you know, on on the back heels of uh, what happened in New York a couple of days ago? Yeah, I <clears throat> was, uh, I was, I was so, so behind him winning um, uh, the, the, the tournament and to fall one short. I, I just, I don't know how I have some reservations about how he bounces back, how he handles being one match short um, of, of the grand slam and the toll that it's taken. Um, and and then of course it's, you know, whether we will see him, how much we will see him for the rest of this season, um, because I think that will impact you know the beginning of the beginning of next year. I, I, I certainly see him winning a couple of slams next year. So I, I think by the end of twenty two, I have no surprise that he'll be on. Um, you know twenty twenty two, um, if not twenty three slams. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I, I think I need need to see him ha- ha- how he responds, how he returns. I just don't see Roger moving forward off of 20. Um, Rafa certainly, you, you know, capable of 
one, you know, maximum two more. I, I really don't see him, uh, you, you know, picking up any uh, the same amount as Novak will. I think there's there's years, a few more years that we'll see Novak. Um, uh, uh, but but I don't see really years for certainly for Roger um, nor Rafa. I think we all agree that this is Novak's race to lose more than ever, and uh, he still remains, I think, the force to be reckoned with. So, Mark Woodford, thank you very much for doing this. Every time we ask, uh, we don't take this for granted. You become a friend of the show, and we hope to host you many times in the future. This is Sakib Ali and Matt Semek signing off from our U.S. Open 2021 review with Mark Woodford. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back with more shows as the year countdown goes all the way to the year-end championships. Thank you.